0: On ABC Radio,
1: this is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there, welcome aboard. Watch your step, it's a bit choppy. Good morning, Scott Levi, with you, it's The Big Fish. And on the program this week, we share a major fishery scientific breakthrough about bull sharks. Last week, Captain Craig McGill on Sydney Harbour and Cole the Waymaster Treneman on the Hastings told us about the numbers of bull sharks in the system. Well, it may not be a population increase, but a population shift because of the warm East Coast currents. And Amy, tell us about this shift in their distribution due to the warm water. What are you discovering? And this is is quite a revelation, isn't it? This hasn't been discovered before. No,
2: well, bull sharks are a tropical, subtropical species, and they're typically thought to be associated with... Rivers and estuaries in those warm uh, water environments and our coral reefs. But as a result of the DPI tagging and tracking research, what we have found is that bull shafts are travelling as far south as the lake's entrance in Victoria and spending weeks to months in these areas where the water temperature is favourable.
1: That's our first cast this morning on the big fish. Also coming up, stinker. A hair-raising story from Newcastle Harbour. And a big dunny do carp muster. Dr. Amy Smoothie has been catching bull sharks, some up to 300 kilograms, in Sydney Harbour on conventional tackle late at night and then placing tracking devices on them to study their movements. Amy, great to have you back on The Big Fish.
2: Thank you for having me back on, Scott. Lovely to speak to you again.
1: Just fascinated by your wonderful research into these amazing creatures, so adaptive these stories of, of uh, very small ones, this year's pups uh, being way up the river in the fresh water. What can you tell us about that? What, what can you surmise from that? Is it, is it that th- th- we've had really good recruitment maybe this year?
2: What's amazing about bull sharks is that they are one of the few species that are physiologically capable of living in rivers, estuaries and the marine environment. So what happens with bull sharks is that pregnant females come into the river systems late spring, early summer, to give birth in the river systems. Um, and pregnant uh, bull sharks can give birth up to fifteen pups at a time. They're born around fifty-five to eighty-five centimeters in total length. And the reason why females come into the river systems to give birth is that there's few natural predators in those systems because. Bull sharks are one of the few species that can tolerate freshwater, brackish and marine environments. So it's an added advantage that other species don't have and don't do. Um, And they come in in that late spring, early summer and give birth. They don't stay around. They give birth and then they leave the system.
1: So are we seeing this in other river systems uh, up and down the coast, that there has been recruitment, that there has been... um, uh... Pupping of, of you yeah, know the big sharks, the big females have been coming in and and uh, dropping their litters.
2: Yeah, bull sharks move into the river systems late spring, early summer, all the way down to the Hawkesbury is where we've um, detected bull sharks giving birth, and they give birth up to the fifteen pups in those systems in the when the water's warm. Um, and in, in these river systems, there's lots of um, prey for the juvenile pups to survive and thrive in.
1: Are we seeing? a good year because there's so much food in the systems. Um, Surely that's got to be a good thing for the sharks.
2: There's no scientific evidence to suggest that um, bull shark numbers are increasing in our river systems. However, what we do know is from our tagging and tracking research that we do at DPI is that when the water temperature's warm, bull sharks and large bull sharks like pregnant females come south from Queensland waters into New South Wales waters and they stay in these um, in our rivers and our estuaries and along our coastal beaches. When water temperatures are warm, they prefer. They're a tropical and subtropical species, so they like the warmer water. Any any temperature above 19 degrees um, indicates that bull sharks are likely to be around.
1: And we've had very warm water. We've had water temperatures of over 24 degrees for months and months. So, what you're saying is that we're not necessarily seeing more bull sharks in the overall population but we're seeing more of them staying for longer down south because of those really warm water temperatures
2: yeah so the east australian current is a western boundary current that moves south late spring early summer and it brings these beautiful warm waters that we love to enjoy in summer and autumn with those warm waters um, bull sharks come from the tropical waters of queensland and stay in our systems until the water temperatures drop below 19 degrees and what's really interesting, we've tracked some of our bull sharks travelling as far south as Victoria in recent years because of the availability of this uh, favourable water temperature.
1: Hot water pushing down from up north is meaning that they're coming down and and possibly breeding further south or, or giving birth further south. We'll say, I guess if you're a big mama bull shark, three or four meters long, and you get to Brisbane and the water's too cold past there, you'll Duck up the river at Noosa, or duck into uh, the Brisbane River, and 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 drop your pups.
2: Yeah, all those systems, are, um, bull shark nursery areas like the Noosa River, the um, Brisbane River. But we also know that um, bull sharks utilise uh, our river systems in New South Wales to give birth, and their um, nursery areas all the way down to the Hawkesbury. And the pregnant females come in late spring, early summer, and give birth to their young. What's really interesting is that those juvenile bull sharks live in those low salinity areas for up to four to five years. These salinity areas, these rivers are, have really low salinity, so it's too low for other shark species and potential predators, specifically in New South Wales. We don't have crocodiles, obviously, but, you know, in Queensland and Northern Territory, um, crocodiles are a threat. But th- they do that, and it's an added advantage. It's few predators in these so-called nursery areas and a high abundance of food.
1: So, is it fair to say then that this um, persistent warm water coming down, which has been uh, warmer than than previous years, is is meaning that they they're coming further south and and um, breeding or, or giving birth for, further south?
2: That's a great question, and I hope to be able to answer it with scientific facts moving forward. But what we do know is um, as a result of our modelling of bull shark movements in relation to the um, forecast strengthening of the East Australian Current, my colleague Dr Um, Niela modelled the bull shark presence along our New South Wales coast and it's estimated by 2030 um, the availability of the preferred water temperature for bull sharks is going to be around for an additional three months. So that's not just pregnant um, females, that's male and female bull sharks. So Obviously, the East Australian current is strengthening and um, those preferred water temperatures are going to be moving further south and staying on along our New South Wales coast for uh, longer periods of time. Mm.
1: So s- some, fishermen, some fishermen have suggested more nutrient in the water after the big floods, um, has created uh, quite a lot of plankton that then created more bait fish and then the, the small pelagic fish that the bull sharks feast on are in huge numbers. Uh, Benito, Watson's Leaping Benito, Taylor, uh, Mac Tuna, um, you know, slimy mackerel. I mean, it's just uh, an absolute smorgasbord. Uh, Australian salmon of, of of small pelagic fish in, in our rivers and in Sydney Harbour. But that's not really the reason they're, they're here. It's more to do with the warmer water.
2: Well, it's also linked to foraging opportunities. We know that um, warm water also brings down those pelagic Prey species for so bull sharks. So um, our research has shown specifically within a Sydney Harbour, they weren't coming down for reproductive needs. They weren't pupping, and we weren't catching pregnant uh, female bull sharks in Sydney Harbour. But our research showed that they were coming and using Sydney Harbour as a foraging ground. For all those reasons that you just said, a really productive past to use with the warm water fishermen are telling me that they're catching great numbers of all their favourite fish species. So it has been productive, and that is potentially a result of the warming um, East Australian Current moving further south. But again, we also have had um, not so much this year but previous years heavy rainfall. And obviously after heavy rainfall, freshwater drains from catchment into the rivers. This results in murky freshwater plumes that mix with seawater at River Mouth and create sort of like a localised in water front. And these fronts then cause plankton blooms and support bait fish. And obviously, where there's bait, there's going to be predators, and that's where um, bull sharks are likely to occur.
1: And how far can they track inland? How far have you tracked them in, in New South Wales? What rivers and uh, you know, where on the river can they be found?
2: One of the most extensive network of um, listening stations that we have for our sharks and freshwater fish species is the Clarence River. And the furthest I've tracked a bull shark in this system is 85 kilometres from the river mouth at Mulville Creek um, up near Coppenhurst. So, 85 kilometres, um, the shark was 85 centimetres. So, the typical that um, fishermen get in this region, um, juveniles tend to occur in this area for up to four to five years. But that is phenomenal distances from a, the river mouth. These sharks are highly physiologically capable of living in these freshwater environments due to advanced osmoregulation. So, you know, we really need to give bull sharks some credit here for their capabilities of living in these diverse range of environments.
1: And how far north do they travel? Are the bull sharks, these giant females, giving birth to up to 15 pups in our rivers all the way down to the Hawkesbury system? Uh, are they travelling back up to the reef, uh, as you've found with some?
2: Yeah, so there is a clear seasonal pattern in the occurrence of large bull sharks along our coast. So when the water temperature warms up, the bull sharks, large bull sharks travel south from Queensland and they're around until water temperatures drop below 19 degrees. They are coming from the Great Barrier Reef, which is over 1,800 kilometres one way. So they come down here for the the, uh, win, uh, the summer and autumn, and move north for the winter and spring. But what's really interesting is some of the research that we've been doing recently with pop-up archival satellite tags has found that one female bull shark, sexually mature, so um, able to have um, pups, she was around 2.2 metres in total length. She travelled all the way down the coast, um, stayed along um, the New South Wales coast for extended periods of time, and then went as far north as Papua New Guinea. She travelled through southeast Queensland, the Capricorn um, and Bunker Groups, through to Papua New Guinea. And this individual travelled over 5,000 kilometres during a 120-day period, so travelling vast distances in short periods of time.
1: So water temperature is really critical. Uh, water temperature at Manly Beach today is uh, just under twenty-four degrees. That's Isn't it quite delightful. That's very very warm. So that means that they will stay for longer and possibly start to uh, drop their pups further south.
2: Water temperature right now is beautiful, twenty-three degrees off our Sydney coast. Um, we're having a beautiful long summer and now through our autumn months. And we know as a result of New South Wales DPI's tagging and tracking research that water temperature is a key predictor for the occurrence of bull sharks along our coast. When water temperature is around 22 degrees, we know that bull sharks are most numerous in our area along our coast. When, it, when water temperature drops below 19 degrees, and this is generally around May, June, give or take a month, um, bull sharks head north to Queensland and beyond I've now been working on bull sharks for 12 years and recently we've discovered that bull sharks obviously are a tropical subtropical species, typically only known to come as far south initially prior to our tagging work to Wollongong. But now our sharks are spending, our bull sharks are spending significant periods of time off the coast of Victoria on continental slope waters when it's warm. So when it's that beautiful warm East Australian Current water of that 22 degree water, bull sharks are present. And what's really interesting is that initially bull sharks were thought to be only species that lived in rivers or nearshore waters, but we have found that they're um, travelling far off the coast, spending quite a bit of time in pelagic and the shelf edge and slope waters. But what when they're in those um, far uh, waters? They're typically occupying uh, water temperatures above 50 metres of the water column, so in the upper 50 metres of the water column. And whilst they experience water temperatures, um, you know, up to 28 degrees, they prefer around 22 as a preferred water temperature. And throughout their travels, we're finding that they're going from the shallows all the way as far deep as 176 metres, but on average cruising at around 18 metres as a preferred um, depth that they use.
3: When
2: Gee. they're in the, the harbour and in our estuarine areas, which people would commonly um, see them, people are reporting them in, in the Hawkesbury, Sydney Harbour, George's River of Lake, what's really interesting is that they're tending to reside in deeper holes during the day. And when the light drops down in low light levels, so um, dusk during the evening, they're coming out of those deeper holes into the shallower areas to feed.
1: Ah, very, very interesting. I know uh, uh, Mulloway researcher Matt Taylor, um, who put tracking devices inside Mulloway, found that in the Georges River as well, that they would uh, inhabit the deepest holes and then uh, come out and and feed on on low light and change a tide. So I wonder if they're... uh... (laughs) enjoying being mates with giant bull sharks.
2: Yes, Dr. Taylor and I, we collaborated collaborated on a study and we found that there was similar uh, spatial overlaps between bull sharks and mulloway in the systems that he and I had worked on. So in the Georges River, Sydney Harbour, the sharks were um, co-occurring with various prey species. So yeah, using those deeper waters during the day And we also have found that bull sharks tend to occur on um, drop-offs. So they tend to occur in shallow. You're more likely to encounter a bull shark on shallow areas adjacent to steep drop-offs. And as a fisher, you would know that that's where you would target your your prey, your mulloway, um, in those drop-off areas.
1: Yeah, that that sort of habitat. And how many bull sharks has uh, New South Wales DPI fisheries tagged across New South Wales, Amy?
2: 2009, we've tagged 252 bull sharks across New South Wales, and 87 of those have been in Sydney Harbour. And within Sydney Harbour, those sharks have ranged from two meters to 3.2 meters in total length. This roughly is between anywhere around 85 kilos to 200 kilos uh, sharks, so a good size up, up in that 3.2 meter range.
1: Mm. And you're saying that population trends show that bull shark populations aren't Really exploding, it's just that maybe more of that population is uh, down visiting us at the moment. Is that how you could could surmise the, the numbers of, of babies we're seeing and, and obviously the, the big mummers who've had successful um, birthing in our rivers?
2: Yeah, the 2020 global assessment of bullshark populations done by the International Union of Conservation of Nature indicated that bullshark populations were in fact decreasing and they're currently listed as vulnerable. And this is due to various threats, due to loss of habitat, effects of climate change and so forth. So um, whilst recreational and commercial fishers may suggest that they um, believe that shark numbers are actually increasing or bull sharks, there's currently no scientific evidence um, to support that. But what we do know from um, New South Wales Department of Primary Industries shark tagging is that bull sharks are more numerous in our estuaries, our rivers and our coastal waterways over the summer and autumn months when water temperatures rise.
1: And that's exactly what we have at the moment, nice warm water that means that they'll stay around for a while.
2: Yes, indeed. So bull sharks will stay around our coastal waterways and our river systems until water temperatures drop below 19 degrees and then they'll migrate along our east coast, north to Queensland and beyond.
1: Amy, thanks so much for that, that update. It really clarifies uh, a lot of that anecdotal evidence we've been getting on, on the big fish Uh, from our uh, great um, amateur scientists out there who are observing their waterways. So it's pretty useful stuff and it's great to then be able to uh, find out what's going on from some uh, evidence-based research.
2: Thank you for having me and sharing our science.
1: Dr Amy Smoothie there from the New South Wales DPI Fisheries.
0: The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio.
1: It's the big fish, and while the people in the bush wait for the decision-makers in Canberra to show some leadership on the National Carp Eradication Program, locals at dunny who are being overrun by these destructive pests, are taking matters into their own hands and they're mustering
0: more than sheep this week. Communities across western New South Wales are getting into the waterways to get as much carp out of the river system as possible. But what do you do with the invasive fish species once you catch them? Well, there's a quick and easy way to prepare them if you like Chinese cooking. Dunny doos carp muster on the weekend attracted 170 fishers. 11-year-old Lily Beer told Hannah Joes she got her best catch ever.
4: I reckon we did pretty well. Um, we caught 52 carp and one spangled perch and one um, yellow belly, which is pretty good. Yeah. Do you go out to the river often? Yeah, fair bit. Yeah. Yeah. How much carp was there in the river today compared to like other times? Oh, I've never caught that many fish before, really? so pretty good day. Sal Dent with the Doo Kula Landcare helped organise the day. She says all the carp in their waterways have crowded out the native fish.
0: We did it for numerous reasons. The first one being that we would like to get access back to our Talbago River in our town. Um, For years it's been used for people to run their stock so there's been fenced and really not accessible. Our second motivator is because the children were so keen and they kept talking, talking to me about fishing and wanting to be part of a special day. And uh, what were the standout results from the comp? Well, I think our young Matthew Williams, Matt took out the longest um, carp found, and I think it was 750 millimetres, which is fantastic, and it really was huge. And then the team... Uh, best, caught, I think the most amount caught was 88, so that was out of a, one of our local dams at Corumbine. And has there been a tonne of carp around in the river? Certainly has, yeah, and I think people, if you speak to individuals, landholders, they'll all tell you they've certainly noticed a lot more carp um, in their river systems or in their waterways mm. and the damage it's doing.
4: But what to do with all the carp you catch? Larry Guan was at the muster. He says it's good to eat if you cook it in a specific way
0: lot of
5: Chinese people like to eat a cup back home.
4: Yeah, and is it cooked for special occasions?
5: Oh, yes, some for wedding. It's uh, very auspicious to have a cup on the table.
4: Mm, that's so interesting. So can you tell us how you how you cook it?
5: Uh, yes. First of all, um, we need a fresh fish that's about one kilo or half a kilo that's size. You know, we clean the scale and gills. And... Before we put on the pan, we put some uh, cooking oil and some salt in the pan and uh, over slow fire to fry the fish both sides for a few minutes until it turned brown. After that, we add some uh, vinegar and uh, soya sauce and sugar and the cooking wine, a little bit of water and uh, garlic and uh, ginger. And uh, we let it simmer over a covered pot for about 20 minutes.
4: You also said it has to be freshly killed, right? So do you bring it back home in a bucket to cook it, alive?
5: We took it home and uh, clean it uh, in in the kitchen.
4: And, you know, carp is so common here in Australia. Why do you think so many Australians don't eat it?
5: Because they um, they have more choices, you know. They have more... uh, uh, more fish from the ocean. Also, they are, uh, they don't know how, how to cook the the, the car. Uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. can, if you don't cook it right, then you have uh,
0: some
3: very fishy.
0: That was Sal Dent of Duny Doo Cooler Landcare, ending that report
3: by Hannah Joes. I fished everywhere, man. I fished everywhere, man. Off beaches, boats, and piers, man. I'm in up to my ears, man. With hand, line rods, or spears, man. I fished everywhere. Caught pinkies, kingies, dragon, whiting. Black brim, blackfish when they're biting. Flathead, flounder, pike, and hake. Blue pointers, tiger sharks, that's flake. Redfin, yellow belly, murray, got tarpon. Brown trout, rainbows, even at a carbon. Yeah, but what kind of bait? Crestborns, pippies, crabs and congee, beachworms, sandworms, sperm or spongy, white whitebait, froggies, nippers, yabbies, ockies, squidgies, potties, crabbies, pilchards, mussels, cabbage, weed on, all the stuff fish love to feed on. I'll try any bait, mate, to get fish on a plate, mate. I fish at early light, mate, and sometimes through the night, mate. I catch and then release, mate, yes, I've fished everywhere. Yeah, but name is a couple of spots, mate. Cape York, Cooktown, Colorado, Naruma, Mossman, Maryborough, Weston, Port and Coomber, Noosa, Bribe, Coolin, Gatacoolin, Harvey Bay, Byron Bay, Bowen and Maroolin, Brisbane, Gisborne, Bundaberg and Bunbury, Portland, Shark Bay, Boy, i in a quandary. Darwin down to Perth, mate, on a boat where there's a berth, mate, on a four wheel in the outback, I'm set to hit the road, Jack, on a rock ledge when the tide's slack, yes, I've fished everywhere. Crikey, anywhere else? Feed to servers, Ballon at a Bundy, Gog to Darwin, the reefs with Sunday, Gosford, Tari, Windham Warra, Gamba, Burnjuk, Tullibuck, Laurent and Yamba, Fangston, Brighton, Air Tasmania, Esprance, Albany. guess I got a mania. I fished everywhere, man. I fished everywhere, man. Beaches, boats, and piers, man. I'm in up to my ears, man. Whether handline rods or spears, man. Yes, I fished everywhere. Fished here, there, everywhere. I fished everywhere.
0: The Big Fish, with Scott Levi, on ABC Radio.
3: Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait?
6: Are you catching any,
1: mate? Morning, Stinker.
6: Hey, g'day, Scott.
1: going to send out a cheerio to 88-year-old Ted, who I interviewed. Uh, you love where you live, outside broadcast at the surf club on Wednesday and he was telling me a great fishing story about how he used to paddle the old surf skis and he had a hand line with a feather and a hook and he'd throw that that out the back and off they'd go offshore and he'd catch all these tailor and then grill them up for breakfast back at the surf club. He said it was all good until a kingfish grabbed it and then I'd get pulled under one. (laughs)
6: Underwater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's right. He, a good kingfisher tailor uh, surf ski around, that's for
1: sure. Yeah, he loves uh, the segment, your segment on, on air. And uh, yeah, tailor for breakfast. I mean, that's that's very Australian, isn't it? A nice slab of tailor for sea mullet for breakfast. That's that's what I grew up with. Did you grow up with that?
6: Uh, my father did. It was one of his favourites. Oh, dear, he loved tailor in the morning. You'd go out onto the south wall or the north wall at Tweed Heads or along the beaches, and then you'd come home and the fish were fresh and, and you'd uh, scale them and fillet them. And then um, my mother would, uh, I don't know what she did, just patted a bit of flour on it, I think, and cooked it. He said, well, my father, he just thought that was the greatest thing of ever. But I've got a bit of advice for my friend Ted. Now, Ted, when you're paddling, especially if you're in budgie smugglers, um, be very careful of when you catch a tailor, don't drop it in your lap because tailor have got a very bad habit of snapping um, and I can snap anything in close range. So so I would suggest that you have a bag or something that you put behind you uh, and, and stick your tailor in there because, uh, I, I um, saw a friend kiss one once, only once, and I, and, he couldn't, and he couldn't get the tailor off his lips. Oh,
1: my God. Rex, Rex Hunt's got a lot to answer for.
6: He has. He
1: has. Hey, stinker, <laughs> so talk just be careful, Ted. <laughs> just uh, talking about tasty fish, you sent me a, a great photo from out in Stinkpot, the contents of your esky. Beautiful snapper, beautiful big snapper, just gorgeous looking fish. And a great big spangled emperor, the beautiful blue and, and yellow spots, and it was a good two or three kilos as well. What a what a fantastic feed.
6: Oh, gee, look, you know. Well I've I've rambled on about fishing for years on your segment and but I never take photos, I never weigh fish, I never measure fish. If they fit in the pan, well that's good enough for me. But um, I'm thinking, well, some people might think I'm just playing the tune here. I, I better actually send you a photo of something that I got. So, uh, and I haven't got a... Like some fishes have photo albums and they have their PB. Oh, dear me, PB. Anyway, uh, I'm not into any of that stuff. But uh, anyway, I thought I will, just for the heck of it, take a photo of one of my... Well, that... That was Wednesday, Scott. That That's Wednesday's outing. Um, I'll tell you what, oh, look, it's a funny thing. I rarely, well, I actually can't remember the last time I went fishing in the middle of the day, um, not for snapper anyway. I, I don't fish for snapper in the middle of the day. I fish, well, I used to fish in the morning, but I got too lazy for that. So I normally go out at three or four or five in the afternoon. And I'll fish until whatever happens. But come Wednesday, now my wife has gone north to be with the with the grandchildren, so I'm batching it. So I've done all the jobs that were assigned to me, you know how that is.
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, sure. No, I, I want photographic evidence of that because I've got photographic evidence of the fish. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were fantastic, and I'll put them up on our Big Fish podcast that you can get at the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts because they are cracking fish. They're just, uh, just so beautiful. And that Spangled Emperor, it's up there with them.
6: Oh, well, I, went, I was there and it was midnight. It was a beautiful day, Wednesday, absolutely beautiful day. And I look at um, the, my bomb site, which I always do, and what I saw was a southerly wind, and that a re- that immediately twigs my interest because oh, gee, this spot I got rocks in a southerly, and you know, southerly wind, high tide, half past three, um, big surge, like a well, not a big surge, but a two and a half meter, two meter swell
1: yeah it's a bit come of up. swell it was it was a solid swell yeah. wasn't it
6: it was it was it came up quick and it died quick but it was there on wednesday so i thought right oh um it's only three hours before high tide it's blowing the southerly which is perfect sit for me there is a, a big swell a big enough swell i'm going fishing at 12 o'clock so i loaded up stink pipe and I drove down, and even people I drove past, they said, where are you going, Stink? You don't go fishing at this time of the day. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going today. I'm going today because I, I reckon the, the planets have aligned. So I, I launched my boat, Stinkpot, in the corner. Oh, it was just such a lovely day. Anyway, then I went out. I went across the, the bay and around the, the southern point, um, which is all sanctuary zone. There's some great fish in the sanctuary zone, but that's where they stay. Anyway, around I went and then I looked north to where I go fishing and I could see the waves breaking over the reef. And I thought, oh, 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 this is looking good. And so I motored. and But there was so much, there was a lot of swell and surge and, oh, gee, it was rough. Let's put it that way. It was rough. And it's very difficult to anchor um, in the exact spot. There's got to be exact spot. You can't just anchor anywhere you like because there's too many things to take into consideration. So, in fact, I took oh nearly 20 minutes to anchor correctly and I finally got there and my anchor rope is just long enough. Oh, and I anchored in and then the wind blew me in the perfect direction. And so what I did, and this is the first one minute of when I was settled, I said, okay, I'm happy now. Uh, Right, I tried to organise the steep pot, which doesn't take long because it's 11 foot long. So I've organised, but what I did before I did that, I had six frozen yellowtail. And as I've mentioned before on this program, I cut the head off and I cut two blocks off um, into cubes. And I put one, the one behind the ear, the first block, on a pin six zero no lead, no lead at all, I threw it out, and with the wind at my back, I could throw it thirty twenty 30, twenty meters and then I stuck it in the rod holder, and I started fiddling around and getting everything organized within thirty seconds. That thing screamed, and now the problem was i 'd done a bit of maintenance on my reel, and it was was left in um uh, bait runner mode, and uh, I'd also loosened up the oh, drag, dear. so it had absolutely no drag on it at all, no
1: resistance whatsoever. I hope you could stop Done it before all. it got to the barbie.
6: took off, and it's squealing. The reels going totally razzo, and and so then I started. I <laughs> put it back into the, into the gear, and then I tightened up the drag, and I thought, geez, it's you know, it's going to get off. It's had every opportunity to get off. Anyway, it was still there. And I wound it in. That was over four kilo. That was. I had a four kilo snapper in my boat um, within a minute. Well, I hooked him within a minute. Unbelievable. So I thought to myself, well, you know, like I've said before, it's like having a hole in one on your first first <laughs> hole of golf.
1: First shot.
6: <laughs> You're miles in front before you start. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. You're on the on a winner. And and uh, for people who don't believe this. Stinker sent me a photo uh, of some of the fish from this trip and his Esky is very big, mainly to carry beer. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I hope I'm not giving too much away. But it's a very big Esky. They're very nice fish, Stinker. Very nice fish.
6: Well, they're all like four and a half kilo fish. A lovely fish. I mean, there's bigger fish there, but I, quite frankly, don't need them and I don't want them i'm really, really happy, but then the last fish I caught, and I was using um cubed yellow tail pinned through the fin uh with a six o hook, which is the weirdest looking bait you'll ever see in your life, and it goes against everything you 've ever told so everything you've ever told, every book or or every fishing program you watch don't take any notice any of that. This is what happened. I pinned it through that little ki- that cube and then throw it out and whack her. Well, I also had prawns and I got a couple on prawns. Interestingly enough, the smaller fish, around about the two ki- one kilo to two kilo fish, they, they pretty much took the prawns. But then, bang, off she's gone again. Well, this one was closer to five kilo and that one took a prawn. So... You know, what? the two biggest fish I caught, one took a yellowtail, the other one took a prawn. And I was about to go. I said, look, this is fantastic. I'm going home. So I'm cleaning up, and there's a fair bit of cleaning to do. I'm a very messy fisherman. Are you messy?
1: <laughs> I am a bit stinker, yes. I, I well, do. I'm
6: very messy. I, I'm but the good thing about
1: a 10- or 11-foot you know, boat is you just get the hose and you spray everything.
6: That's it, including myself. that's what what you do or sometimes I'll pull the boat up on the beach and then just jump in with all my clothes on and jump in and and then put my clothes in the back of the truck oh look there's a few rules that my wife won't let me in the house unless I'm you know in reasonably clean condition anyway and and that's true anyway this last um, time I threw out I got this almighty, oh, it squealed. It's just a magnificent sound when you hear the squealing of the reel and the rod is just buckled over and and the line's just peeling off. And i got a pretty tight drag on it by now. It's still going off. I mean, I've got two lines here, two lines. And uh, anyway, I thought, here we go again. This is another one. I had a four and a five, four, four and a uh five kilo snapper in the bag and others, heap others. But then I thought, this is this is the biggest fish of the day. This is a cracker. So I, I leaned into him and I'll go and I go and I'll go and I'll get it near the boat and i go again. And I'm thinking, this is a big, like this is a six kilo plus snapper. And it was a three and a half, it might have been three and a half kilo, well it was three and a half kilo um spangled emperor. Wow, they they go hard. They go real hard. He went harder than the four kilo snapper. I've never um, eaten snapper, it, and, and it just took off, and uh, I thought this is extraordinary. This is a very big fish. Well, it wasn't half as big as I thought it was. It was half as big as I thought it was.
1: I've never eaten emperor, and they're they're very similar to grassy emperor or or um, red throat. Sweet lip, you know, as they call them up on the reef, they're all the same family and they have beautiful white flesh and and they're really good to eat. But I've never eaten them with snapper because you don't usually catch them with snapper. Um, Although, as you say, you do. But, um, you know, you're either up on the reef catching them and and eating them and they're fantastic. I'm wondering what they're going to be like in a side-by-side comparison, Stinker.
6: Well, we might just do that. You're right. I just remembered that we used to call them sweet lip that was everything, all sorts of emperor were sweet, that's that, right, yep, that, you know that's what we called them but that was that, but that's
1: a queensland well, that's I, a queensland that's a queensland name from
6: yeah, well, I was good as a queensland, Living in Tweedheads, you're sort of getting pretty close to, to yeah, that's uh, right.
5: queensland.
6: but when I got home, um I filleted them, um, and then I took the bones out, then I skinned them, and then I cut out the. The line of bones, you'd make a V into the, uh, a thin V uh, when you cut out all the bones. So by the time you finish, you have a beautiful fillet of fish with absolutely no bones in it at all, no skin, no scales, just beautiful fillet. And then I put all that in the um, my the vacuum thing. Cryo cry, can... cry vac. Cry that, why can't I think of that yeah. but yeah, that's it, that's what it is and um, so then I packed them in there and I gave a few away, it's funny you know, I left the beach with I think 10 or 11 fish because I had the extra, I oh, know 12 because I had a kingfish too, I had a kingfish and a spangled emperor and I got the 10 snapper, so I left the beach with 12 fish and I got home with 7 <laughs> <laughs> That's how
1: it is in I, I bet you! I bet you gave the kingfish away. Yeah, oh,
6: that was the first one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you don't yeah. like those, but I wonder if you'll be able to tell the difference.
6: You know, they've, they've... well, I'll give it a try. And, and, and next I'll week's show, a we'll do the
1: do the catch and cook taste comparison between spangled emperor. Uh, you know, of a similar size too. It's good because sometimes texture's different in in different size fish. Um, but they're they're similar size, uh, the spangled emperor. It's a bit smaller than the the snapper that you sent the picture of, and we'll put that picture up so people can have a look at that as well on the Big Fish podcast. Stinker, anyway, that's something to look forward to next week. You've got my mouth watering. I, I wouldn't mind a, a a fish sandwich
6: for breakfast. <laughs> but, oh, gee, it's a, the secret, the secret that's not a secret anymore is cubed yellowtail. Oh,
1: there's so much...
6: I, I just to catch yellowtail the other day, and I put them in three packets of six. So I had and then when I went out uh, on, on Wednesday, that's right, they were frozen. Frozen yellowtail in cubes. Deadly.
1: Wow. And, and there's so many yellowtail about at the moment and lots of slimies. The, the baitfish are really going off, so um, they're not too hard to catch, are they?
6: Yeah, no, that's true. I was surrounded by and little Benito. The little fellas.
1: Nice. You know the
6: little tiny ones?
1: Yep, yep. They're they're terrific too.
6: Yeah, yeah. And as you say, this is bait fish time. And when I come across um, the bay on the way home um, at about half past three, I went out at 12 o'clock and come home about half past three um, on Wednesday, there were little what we call pencil gar, little garfish, skipping across the surface all the way across the bay, probably for a kilometre. Unreal. And there's something chasing them. There's so much action out there at the moment. It, it's um, full on.
1: Absolutely alive, Stinker. You paint a lovely picture. You make everyone listening to that this morning want to get out and get into it. Tight lines, buddy.
6: Hooray,
0: Scott. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio.
1: It has the teeth of a vampire, the head of a fox, a giant undulating body like an eel. It swims backwards and its bright chromium silver sides resembles a sword, which gives it the name the sabre fish. And our big fish reporter on Newcastle Harbour, Kaya Handley, is fascinated.
4: She's hooked. When was the last time you took a stroll along the Honeysuckle foreshore? I was there last night and honestly... I couldn't believe my eyes. There was like a highway of fisher folk casting out nonstop into the harbour. Like you could not fit another person with a rod along the water. All different ages, all with these light up flashing lures, either red or green, and they were going for it. And what they were bringing in surprised me as well. I thought it was an eel, and then I was surprised that there was eels in the harbour, and then it was a whole conversation. I could not have been more wrong. So the big question is what is happening? Where have all these people come from? And what on earth are they catching? Someone who knows is Nathan Evans. He's the shop manager at the Fisherman's Co-op. All right, let's start with not an eel, right?
7: Not an eel. No, it is a fish. It's a large head hairtail, an Australian large head hairtail. And um, at the moment with these uh, big warm currents that we've got coming uh, down the coast, there is that much bait fish, over the shop, with it, all up and down the coast, that there's a there's a lot of white bait and, and small fish coming in the harbour, and when that happens, you get the predators following them, which is in this case those tails.
4: Right. So, do we often find them in the harbour?
7: Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, look, traditionally they were more sort of a winter fish, uh, but these days you can you seem to be able to catch them all year round. It's just more about whether there's uh, whether there's feed in the harbour for them. Um, but um, the Newcastle Harbour is a known fishing spot for large ha- for hairtail. Mm-hmm. and um, they're my, my favourite fish. They're they're the ones that uh, you know I used to go with my parents uh, targeting as a, when I was a kid in the Hawkesbury, and um, probably the majority of the ones that you guys would have seen would have been fairly small, like only about a, maybe a metre long. But uh, they do get much 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 bigger than that too. Like, they get like how big? Oh, up to over two metres long and they can be, uh, the biggest one I've seen was about eight kilo, um, which has got to be some sort of record. That was caught by one of our um, local pro fishermen. Whoa. Uh, about, about, about 10 years ago.
4: Always caught, um, you know, like from, from a harbour or are they deep sea fish? Like where else do we find them if it's not newy Harbour?
7: They, they get them a lot in the, uh, in the Hawkesbury around the Colon Candle Creek area. Um, and, and Newcastle. I've heard that they started to catch them down in Sydney as well, in in Botany Bay and places like that, but they are an ocean-going fish and they seem to come uh, in following the baits when it's around. I, I'm not sure whether they breed. We still need to find out a lot more about them, but yeah. they are a fascinating fish.
4: So are people coming, like from your understanding, talking you know, to anglers, are they coming from right across, not just the Hunter region when they know that, that. Uh, some these of biting... that
7: are, yeah. Some of those people that are, that are fishing down there at Honeysuckle will be coming up from Sydney. What? Um, yeah. They'd be coming up from Sydney and they, uh, they, they, they can, I, I've heard sometimes that they'll stay there for a couple of days and, and take turns at fishing. They're so prized by uh, a lot of the, the Asian community that they just, they absolutely love them. I mean, they're a nice eating fish, and maybe I don't know. They look a bit like a dragon, so there's a bit of significance there for them. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say they are they're... A stunning fish.
4: Well, they're not super beautiful to look at. Like, is that teeth that they <laughs> makes them look a bit vicious? Oh, the
7: teeth! My God, the teeth! They're just they've, they've got the, the the most savage set of teeth you could imagine on them, and the, and they're barbed as well. the, oh. the, the teeth, and uh, they have a they have an anticoagulant on the on the on the teeth that I, I believe as well. So, and I can sort of testify that when I've been, you know, when I've caught my finger on on the teeth from time to time, it bleeds for a long time. So they, you know, they when they they're hunting their prey, they they'll give it a bit of a bite and then let it bleed and then hit it again once it's weakened. So. They're, they're quite a savage predator.
4: Yeah, uh, the flashing lures or the flashing things that I saw—I'm I, yeah, just assuming they're a lure. In my very limited fishing knowledge, is that what they are? Is that what these things it's are attracted a, to?
7: It, 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 it's what they'll—they'll they'll be using two. They'll be using one flashing light on their float. Yep. So that they can see it when they're when they they get a bite, they'll see the the float go, go underwater, under, of course. And then they'll also have another one, usually just above the hook, and that's sort of. That goes back to um, when things are, uh, are preying on, on on jellyfish and those small sort of prey in the ocean, one of their defense mechanisms is to let out a phosphoric glow and that can attract larger predators to eat the fish that's attacking the jellyfish or whatever, so that sort of simulates that sort of prey uh, response in distress mm. and uh, and the hair tail will respond to it a bit better they they often. They'll often use, uh, when they're fishing for them, they'll often use lights shining into the water as well. They're, they're really attracted to lights, and that's a, another reason why honeysuckle is such a, a good spot because there's a, a, a lot of a, a light along, the, along that boardwalk there, which hairtail are attracted to. When they want to go quick, they can use their body instead of their fins, and they, again, they can swim forwards and backwards. And when, you, when you're fishing for them and you're trying to pull them out of the water, You've got to get sort of half of the fish out of the water before you know you, you start to sort of win the battle with them. They'll keep <laughs> even once their heads out of the water; they're still pulling themselves back down.
4: Amazing, amazing! I've learnt I've learnt so much today. Thank you so much for guiding us through these hairtails and letting us know what's going on in the harbour at the moment.
7: My pleasure, Claire. Thank you,
4: Nathan Evans, their shop manager at the Fishermen's Co-op.
3: On ABC Radio, this is The Big Fish.
1: Time to pull up anchor on another expedition of The Big Fish. Don't forget to catch the podcast on the ABC Listen app, and you can drop us a line, The Big Fish, at your.abc.net.au. Tight lines.